Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're... The Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 10. The Haunted. The Second Dream. Can't sleep, can you? She had slept too much. That was the problem. Ever since her fall on the stairs, Gina had slept through the night and all the next day. In bed, in her reading chair, on the sofa, wherever she happened to be, dropping off into deep blackout doses of unconsciousness. Now that night had come again, she was finally starting to wake up. She had been stiff and restless ever since she had laid down, keeping to her side of the bed. He could see that something was gnawing at her. I don't know what's wrong with me, she said, staring wide-eyed up at the shady ceiling. I'm exhausted. I want to sleep. I'm trying very hard to sleep. My eyes just won't seem to close. Hmm, he said, thoughtfully as though carefully weighing her words. As a medical student, of course, I recognize the symptoms. You do? It's a classic case. He kissed her on the forehead. You've got too much on your mind, sweetheart. Well, don't you worry. He slid out from under the bed. Dr. Steiner can help you. Suddenly, she found herself in bed alone. She could hear his bare feet slapping across the floor. Yes. The good doctor himself is going to fix you a little sleeping potion he learned in chemistry class. His voice trailed off down the hallway. She raised her head from the pillow and looked after him. Through the bedroom doorway, she could see a sudden spill of brightness into the hall as Aaron turned on the bathroom light. She sank back down into her pillow. She thought she heard the squeak of the medicine cabinet door. It's that magic weekend again. It's the one weekend in their lives that five-year-old Gina and 80-year-old Nana will ever spend alone together. That one time Gina will ever get to stay overnight at Nana's house for two days in a row. It's a sunny afternoon, and Gina's mom and her stepfather have flown off to Cape Cod, and her father and Barbara have just driven away to catch their plane to Maui. Gina is suddenly free of all parents. She and Nana are alone, just the two of them, with hundreds of flower gardens and a house with a thousand rooms. Gina is giddy with happiness on such a bright, cheerful day, and is following Nana around the side of the house. Her small hands are swallowed up in gardening gloves, which are much too big, but which she prizes proudly, trying to work the fingers. She is clutching a small shovel. She is about to be initiated 
into the secrets of the plant kingdom. Together, they enter the vegetable garden. Its thriving, leafy jungle, row after row, all heavy with harvest, beans and peas and ears of corn, fat squashes and long zucchinis. Nana stops long enough to pick a raspberry from the prickly berry studded arbor. Open wide, she says to Gina, just as she's about to pop the ripe red berry between her granddaughter's lips. Gina hears something, something that frightens her. Song. The sound scares her. She doesn't like the look on Nana's face. She doesn't want to be in the garden anymore. She wants to run, but she's having some trouble with her feet. They won't run. They won't budge. Thong. Something is scaring Nana. She isn't admiring her vegetables anymore. She's looking back toward the house. Gina forgets all about the berry. She turns in circles in the garden, listening, searching in every direction. Nana? She's running after her grandmother. Nana's eyes are fixed on the window high overhead. Something moves in the window. Something falls. Then she hears another sound that makes her cold inside. What is it, Nana? Don't be scared. Nana tries to reassure her. It's just the wind. But Gina knows her great-grandmother too well. She can see the terrified look in her eyes. She's lying. It isn't the wind. Nana is leaving her behind, running toward the house. That's the sound of a child crying. Gina opened her eyes. For a moment, she thought she could still hear the crying. It wasn't the child at all. It was the wind. The cold night wind on her bare legs. She shivered. Her legs were cold. She should close the window because of the chill of the night wind. There was no window. Gina didn't know where she was. It was too dark to see much. The only light came from a distant street lamp, illuminating part of the alley. Alley. Garbage can. Compost pile. Why was she not lying down under the electric blanket, snuggled next to Aaron? This was too real to be a dream. She wasn't in bed anymore. If she is still dreaming, she needed to wake up immediately. She was standing in the remains of the vegetable garden in the middle of the night, her mouth open in silent disbelief. She was not in bed next to Aaron, with a warm electric blanket wrapped around them both. She was alone in her nightgown, shivering, clutching a shovel. A shovel? Where did the shovel come from? She'd seen one down in the basement, along with a rake and a hoe. But she looks behind her. The darker shadow of the house loomed over her. Light spilled through the open basement door. And turning around to face the house, she stepped to one side. The splash of light from the basement lit the garden. It revealed the overturned earth in front of her, sliced up in clumps, piled next to the beginning of a shallow hole. She had been digging. Was she losing her mind? Gina became very afraid that she might be. Why would she be digging in the garden in the middle of the night? Aaron was running toward her. He was just wearing his pajama bottoms. The moment she felt his arms close around her, she started to cry in sheer confusion. Gina, what is it? I... I don't know. Come on back inside. It's freezing. Are you okay? What are you doing out here? I don't know. She wanted to answer him. She was afraid that if she tried, she wouldn't be able to stop crying. 
she allowed him to put his arm around her to guide her toward the house. Aaron, she managed at last, as he closed and locked the basement door behind them. Am I... Am I... She swallowed and tried again. Do you think I'm going crazy? He hugged her. Of course not. Gina, you're a rock of sanity. A little sleepwalking doesn't mean you're crazy. A lot of women do wilder things than sleepwalk when they get pregnant. It affects your mind, too. Your thoughts, your emotions, your sleep. Everything. She began trembling uncontrollably. At the last minute. You're out of bed, he said as he came into the bedroom. She was standing in her slippers in front of the window, looking out into the bright morning sun. How do you feel? Fine. That was all. As though nothing had happened last night. He couldn't read the look on her face. She was distracted, but strangely happy. I've been thinking about sunflowers, she added, looking down into the vegetable garden. I'm going to plant a row of sunflowers along the back fence. Just like Nana did, guessed Aaron, coming up beside her, studying her face in concern. She smiled, just like Nana. He kissed her on the cheek. You must be starved. How about some lunch? You slept right through breakfast. You didn't go to classes, she realized in sudden alarm. I had plenty of homework to do right here, he said, where I could keep an eye on my sleepwalking landlady. He took her gently by the arm and led her away from the bedroom window, down the hall to the breakfast nook. Lunch exhausted her. She decorated the mantelpiece with angel hair and holy springs. Before taking a cat nap on the sofa that unexpectedly lasted right through dinner. By the following day, Gina seemed stronger, but she was no longer quite so spontaneous, so willing to laugh. She was no longer sure what was real. Her whole sense of what she could believe about herself had been shaken. She was on guard, alert for any sign of irrational behavior. Thoroughly rested, she was back on her feet, but only by purposely not thinking about the nocturnal visit to the garden or the red rubber ball that vanished or the figure she had seen in the closet stairway, or the bursts of running footfalls upstairs. Those inexplicable tears were firmly walled out of her mind. She pretended they never happened. All she allowed herself to think about was the family dinner. Each of the last dwindling days before Christmas had its agenda, its shopping list, its decoration countdown. Not to mention the things she kept adding at last minute. Aaron, I just thought of something. Suddenly, out of nowhere, on the day before Christmas Eve. She realized that the perfect trick to lift everyone's expectations and brighten their memories of Nana's house would be Christmas lights. They're the missing ingredient. Not just a few lights. All over the front porch, all along the eaves, all around the windows, all around the house. Christmas lights, he echoed incredulously as they sat together over the breadcrumbs of half-eaten grilled cheese sandwiches and half-empty bowls of tomato soup. Now? Me? The season was almost over. Only one day remained before the commercial blitz of department stores gone crazy and electrified shopping malls finally fizzled out. It was far too late in the holiday season for anyone in his right mind to be up on a ladder against the side of the roof, stringing long, loopy, tangled wires of Christmas lights along the gutters and eaves of the windows. Gina looked at him straight in the eye. 
There's still time, she said. It would make a huge difference. I'll be right back. She put on her coat, walked out the kitchen door, and drove away, leaving Aaron finishing his lunch alone, seriously worried about the woman he loved. Ever since that night in the garden, something in Gina remained silently aloof, inscrutable. At first, he thought she was simply embarrassed to have fallen on the stairs or been caught sleepwalking or perhaps frightened by the incident scared that something like that might happen again. But not now. Gina had started acting as though she were keeping a secret. Aaron was out on the front lawn, raking up a few late falling leaves, when she drove up an hour later. As she walked toward the house, her arms were so full he could hardly see her face. Boxes were piled up to her nose. Christmas lights. Want a little help? I can manage. Thanks she said, but there's another load in the trunk. Can you get those? He did so and piled his boxes next to her boxes on the front porch. All these lights must have cost a fortune. What are MasterCards for? How can you afford to spend so much? On sale for half priced. Will you help me hang them? Of course I will. There's a ladder in the basement, but you aren't getting up on any ladders until you feel better. Don't worry about a thing. You want Christmas lights, you got Christmas lights. This place is going to look classy. Thank you, sweetheart, said Gina. Classy, traditional, she qualified. Nothing too crazy. Something that will impress my family. Mission impossible, grumbled Aaron. Thank you for your helpful attitude, she snapped. Come on, give them a chance. Okay, okay. He gave her a quick peck on the cheek. How about this? for a basic light hanging scheme. He spread his arms drastically to illustrate. How about if I run them straight along the gutter in front and then down around the two front windows? And then the final snapping straw was a simple matter of pride. She hadn't been listening to a word he said. She'd been worrying again. Would this go right? Would that go right? Would everything be exactly perfect for her wonderful, perfect family? Relax, he said. Everything will be fine. I don't feel like relaxing. Everything has to be much more than fine. Hey, what you're doing this Christmas? It's already more than your dear family deserves. Aaron, she said firmly. They're all I have left. Sometimes I may not act like it, but they're very important to me. Now that mom's gone, I have only one family. This one. I want to be a part of this family. I want to have a family. You can have my family, said Aaron. I've got more than enough to share. You can definitely have Aunt Miriam and both of the Eisenbergs. His humor had no effect. Listen, if the Rossies can't appreciate all the effort you put out for them, let them go to hell. Aaron! Gina elbowed him on the side. What a smart mouth you've got sometimes. They don't deserve you, he persisted. You love them so much, and you worry about pleasing them just right, and they treat you like dirt. You have no right to talk about them like that. I do have a right, he countered. I love you. That gives me the right. Oh, you don't understand. She turned away from him. While you do the lights, I'm going to buy another wreath for the other side of the fireplace, and I need more red bows and candles and mistletoe and a little more holly. She left without another word, hurrying down the front porch steps towards her car. 
She returned two hours later with every item. From the moment she got home, she couldn't sit still, driven by some gnawing inner panic to make sure that every last detail about Christmas Eve was perfect. She stepped outside to check on his progress with hanging the lights. She remained to give him advice. Christmas lights. Aaron knew better than to look down. He kept his eyes on the lights. Leaning across the camellia branches, he gripped the gutter in one hand, took the string of lights out of his mouth, and held it still while he staple gunned it into place. How does it look now? Crooked. Crooked? How can it still be crooked? I told you, I'd never get it right, Aaron called down. Jews were never intended to hang Christmas lights. It's not in my jeans. She ignored his attempt at humor. More this way, she called out from below. He leaned carefully to one side of the ladder, stretched out his arm, and tacked the string of lights into place. Anything you say, he mumbled. This way, that way, it didn't matter to him. Anything to get it over with and restore peace on the home front. The disturbing taste of the quarrel still lingered unpleasantly. A painful tension crackled between them. He held up the remaining string of lights, staple gun in place. More to the left, she called from below the ladder. He shifted the dangling wire of Christmas lights further left, along the gutter. Perfect, she called. Nothing less than perfect for the Rossi family. He descended, and Gina helped him carry the ladder around to the backyard. He was hungry and cold and careful not to make any comment. The back of the house had been another issue. Why go through all the trouble for the people who walked down the alley? My grandparents, she informed him, always park in the back. Fine, said Aaron. The back of the house will look beautiful too. Together they braced the ladder securely in the front of the basement door, leaning it up against the window frame of the master bedroom. He made his way up each familiar rung of the old ladder, trailing one more looping string of Christmas lights behind him. It didn't take him long to tack it neatly into place along the back gutter. Perfect. He was getting better at this. That left just the windows. Gina reached up to him, another dangling wire of lights, bracing himself on the narrow brick window ledge. He lined the top of the master bedroom. His nights and bed were able to be improved by the constant irritating color twinkle of Christian commercialism. He kept his mouth shut. At least he was almost done, and not a minute too soon. It was rapidly getting dark. Heavy clouds were bumping and shoving across the turbulent sky. The wind was getting an icy edge. He could see the clouds reflected in the blackened glass of the bedroom window. Then he saw something more than reflected clouds. He blinked. What he saw was not in the sky. It was on the other side of the glass. A small, round object something that looked like a ball, bouncing through the open doorway, bouncing across the bedroom, bouncing directly toward him, bouncing straight through the window into his face. He almost lost his balance. He swatted in front of his eyes as though beating away a pesty fly. Nothing there. Clutching the ladder, he looked down below. Whatever it was, there was no sign of it now. Anything wrong? asked Gina. I thought I just got some dust on my eye. You okay? He blinked successfully now. Good as new. Then he heard the crying. The sound showed him. 
He looked around for pigeons. It had to be pigeons. It seemed to be coming from the window. He could see something moving on the far side of the bedroom. What was that? He squinted through the glass. Something about two feet tall was moving toward him. Was it someone crouching over? That unhappy crying sound. Suddenly, a face pressed up against the glass, looking out at him. A child's face. Then came the shriek from somewhere behind the child. Clutching the ladder, he jerked backward. Aaron, are you alright? Something fell off the window ledge on top of him. He thrust out an arm to protect his face. But his arm, quickly followed by his foot, had become entangled with the dangling Christmas lights. Aaron didn't realize he lost his balance. Until he grabbed for the ladder to steady himself, his hand closed on air, draping the glittering loops as he clawed desperately at the gutter and missed. The last thing he heard was Gina screaming, Tell me what you saw. He's going to be fine, she repeated to Grandma, as her grandfather handed the phone over to his wife to hear for herself. No, he didn't break his leg. He fractured his left fibula and tore some of the tendons. He'll show you the splint on his foot. It's called an air cast. It's better for healing. It allows the foot muscles to move a little. You'll see it on Christmas Eve. Yes, he's fine. It was very frightening, but nothing permanent. Nothing serious. Nothing serious physically, maybe. But something had happened. Gina and Aaron afterward had not been the same, though neither of them would openly admit it. Aaron was acting like a stranger, hobbling around on his crutches, not looking at her in the eye, refusing to talk about what happened up on the ladder. She waited until that night, after dinner, after adjusting his blankets on the sofa to keep him warm, and his foot uplifted, after tucking a steaming cup of raspberry tea within easy reach. He was staring at a sitcom on television, not responding to the one-liners, waiting out the laugh track. He hated sitcoms. Gina turned off the television. Does it hurt much? She asked. The pain pills are taking care of it. She curled up on the floor beside the sofa and took his hand. When you go back to campus after Christmas, will you be able to get around on crutches? I'll be fine. Don't worry. Aaron, tell me what happened up there. What did you see? I don't want to talk about it. It'll be good for you to talk about it. Not if I'm going crazy. Aaron, I've seen things too. What do you think happened to me in that staircase? I'll believe you. You don't have to convince me. Listen, said Aaron. I'm a stressed out med student. I had a dizzy spell on a ladder. Diagnosis sleep deprivation. You, on the other hand, are going through a pregnancy. We're talking a whole major chemical and biological change and psychological change. No, said Gina. Be honest. We both know what's happening here. You're just afraid to say the word. I'll say it and get it over with. We're talking about ghosts. Ghosts, said Aaron, with a forced grunt trying to sound like a laugh. Who's talking about ghosts? Is that what you're talking about? We're both talking about ghosts, said Gina. We need to talk, Aaron. It's eating at both of us. The running footsteps, the crying, the red rubber ball. Remember how on Halloween you saw someone in the window? It's not just my imagination. We aren't alone in this house, Aaron. You know that as well as I do. 
There are others in this house. Not just one. More than one. Not a chance, said Aaron. Maybe you're talking about ghosts, but not me. He had no intention of telling her that he had seen the rubber ball. I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in the real world. What I saw was more like, well, a reflection. It wasn't a reflection. How do you know what I saw? Aaron, if there's nothing strange in this house, then why do we keep both seeing and hearing things? How much longer can two sane people like us keep denying what we see and hear in our own home? He gave a nervous shudder and adjusted his splinted foot. If you let yourself go, he said quietly, you can start to believe anything. It can get pretty scary. So I say no to the whole thing. No ghost, because I want to stay sane. Either that, or I have to admit to myself that living here could be dangerous. Then it's time to start packing. Packing? exclaimed Gina. You just give up and leave? Maybe we've just been lucky so far. He raised his splinted foot. Maybe next time we won't be so lucky. Her cheeks flushed red. She was on the edge of crying, but refused to let herself break down. Well, of course, I understand. You're free to leave any time. This wasn't your idea after all, but I'm not packing, Aaron. I won't leave. This is my home now. Nothing is going to drive me out of my home. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at The underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at roguemedianetwork.com. You've been listening to The Poltergals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.